The House of Representatives moves to strengthen insider threat defenses at Homeland Security and employing blockchain to secure healthcare data. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. Recent high-profile cases of government employees leaking classified information have caused drastic damage to U.S. national security and diplomacy. The names Snowden and Manning are now synonymous with the term inside threat. Unfortunately, Snowden, Manning, and others were able to conduct their traitorous work undetected because the government had at one time vetted and granted them access to secure facilities and information systems. That's Republican Representative Peter King of New York. He sponsored the Department of Homeland Security Insider Threat and Mitigation Act, legislation that passed the House of Representatives on a voice vote this week. Though Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning worked as intelligence analysts, he for the National Security Agency and she for the Army, more than 115,000 employees working at DHS have access to classified information too. The bill passed by the House would furnish training and education for DHS personnel on how to identify, prevent, mitigate, and respond to insider threat risks, as well as provide investigative support regarding potential insider threats that may pose a risk to the department's critical assets. It would also require the department to conduct risk mitigation activities for insiders. Again, Representative King. Unauthorized disclosures of classified information, whether deliberate or unwitting, represent a significant threat to national security. The very nature of modern communication systems, as well as DHS's important information-sharing role with state and local partners, adds complexity to the challenge and requires thoughtful programs to educate employees and enhance DHS-wide detection capabilities. Known as H.R. 666, the legislation would establish a steering committee within DHS to oversee the insider threat mitigation effort. The Undersecretary for Intelligence and Analysis would serve as its chair and the DHS Chief Security Officer as vice chair. Within one year of the bill's enactment, the steering committee would issue a holistic strategy and institute a plan to safeguard critical DHS assets against insider threats. In addition, the steering committee would develop a timeline for deploying workplace monitoring technologies. Democratic Representative Benny Thompson of Mississippi is the ranking member of the House Homeland Security Committee and a co-sponsor of the bill. In his remarks on the House floor, Thompson cautioned the steering committee and DHS officials on how they would implement workplace monitoring technologies. I'm concerned that federal agencies with the understandable urge to protect their IT systems and facilities are racing to acquire the capability before knowing whether such costly systems are even effective. Prior to establishing any such program under which certain DHS employees would be subjected to ongoing automated credit, criminal, and social media monitoring, the department engages Congress about not only the potential cost and benefits of such program, but what protections would be in place for workers subject to such a program. With House passage, H.R. 666 has been sent to the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee for consideration. Securely resetting passwords is a vexing challenge, but as ISMG security and technology editor Jeremy Kirk reports, Facebook is working on solving that problem. Resetting a lost password poses all kinds of security issues. If a company sends you a link via email, what if your email account is compromised? 
Security questions such as where you were born are easy to research, but Facebook has developed a system that doesn't rely on those methods. The social networking site built a protocol from scratch called Delegated Recovery. It's similar to OAuth, which is a framework that allows people to use login credentials from one web service on another. But OAuth and other systems don't deal with password resets, which are a key way that attackers can take over accounts. Delegated Recovery lets users generate an encrypted authentication token in advance for another web service. That token is then saved by Facebook. According to Facebook's documentation, the encrypted tokens have an indefinite lifetime but are still signed with current published public keys. When a password is forgotten or lost, the user can re-authenticate to Facebook. Facebook then sends the token to the third-party service with a time-stamped counter-signature. The password can then be reset. The process only takes a few clicks. There is a point of weakness, however, in that the account for the identity provider must not have been compromised. Facebook is testing its system first with GitHub, although the protocol will be open source and available to any service provider. There are other problems with password resets, and one was illustrated in the past week by none other than President Donald Trump and Twitter. A hacker claimed that he found Trump and several others close to him failed to use a special security setting on Twitter. That setting masks sensitive data during a password reset. If it's not enabled, Twitter will show redacted versions of information such as a phone number and email address, even if someone who doesn't own the account initiates a password reset. The hacker contended he was able to then guess email addresses, an obvious concern due to email launched attacks. Facebook's idea is far from a silver bullet, but it does remove several key weaknesses that can be exploited by hackers, which marks progress in the password conundrum. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Blockchain is a distributed database that maintains a continuously growing list of ordered records called blocks. Each block contains a timestamp that's linked to a previous block. Blockchain is a core component of digital currencies such as Bitcoin. It serves as a public ledger for all transactions. Blockchain also has the potential to improve the privacy and security of other types of data. To discuss how it could be used in healthcare, I'm joined by my colleague, Healthcare Info Security Editor, Marianne Kolbasak-McGee. Welcome, Marianne. Hi, Eric. How is blockchain being employed to secure healthcare data? IBM is collaborating with the Food and Drug Administration on a two-year research study on how to leverage blockchain in the healthcare sector. The initiative aims to define secure, efficient, and scalable exchange of health data using blockchain technology. The project is exploring the exchange of owner-mediated data from several sources such as electronic medical records, clinical trials, genomic data, and also health data from mobile devices, wearables, as well as the Internet of Things. The initial focus will be on oncology-related data. Sharom Ebadolahi is Vice President of Innovation at IBM Watson Health, and he says the use of blockchain could go beyond tracking electronic health records or patient claims data. Blockchain could address the challenges of privacy related to who is authorized to see the data as information passes from one institution to another. It also could help overcome the lack of interoperability among systems, and blockchain could help build trust in the information being exchanged. Even if you have those, how do you put the person, the consumer, the owner of the data in the center of this and basically ask them for consent 
an authorization to share a piece of their data for whatever service is going to be provided to them between two institutions. So that is at the heart of what we want to explore and are exploring with with the FDA in, in this collaboration. How would the patients benefit from blockchain technology? Well, blockchain is seen as bringing a degree of transparency to transactions involving patient information. Patients can limit who has access to their medical records and for how long. Here again is Ebedolahi. Can I, as the consumer or I, as the patient, allow two parties that have my data in in one form or fashion share pieces of my data based on my consent among themselves for a certain duration of time or for a certain purpose and, and only for that purpose. What other applications could blockchain technology be used for? Clinical trials for one. Clinical trials involve a large number of individuals, organizations, and documents. The initiative will explore whether blockchain can make that process more efficient and more secure. Another use, outcome-based or value-based contracting. Those contracts could be between payers and providers or payers and medical device companies or pharmaceutical enterprises. Among these parties, whose data should be trusted? Ebadolahi sees blockchain as a possible solution to determine trust. Whose version of outcome are you going to trust? Is this the payer version and what the payer says or what the pharmaceutical or medical device or the provider is saying? Blockchain could potentially help in these kind of scenarios to provide that basically element of trust and also that auditability and also putting the patient or consumer at the center of those kind of interactions and exchanges. So what happens next? The IBM and FDA collaboration is just one example of work that's being done involving the potential for blockchain in the healthcare sector. Others are also exploring the possibilities of blockchain for more secure health information exchange as well. In fact, the upcoming HIMSS-17 conference in Orlando later this month will also be showcasing blockchain during several sessions, including one by the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT, which administers policies and standards for certified electronic health records and other health IT. Thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Eric. Finally, Major League Baseball has penalized the St. Louis Cardinals for hacking into the scouting database of the Houston Astros. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred ordered the Cardinals to pay the Astros $2 million in compensation. He also stripped the Cardinals of two choices in June's draft, and Manfred banned for life from baseball former St. Louis scouting executive Christopher Correa. Korea has pleaded guilty to the hack in July, ordered to pay the Astros nearly $280,000 in restitution, and is serving a 46-month prison sentence for the hack. The commissioner pointed out that the Cardinals did not authorize Korea's action, but as a matter of MLB policy, he's holding the team responsible for his conduct. Here's Cardinals general manager John Mosliak. Even though we didn't do anything wrong, we understand that the commissioner had to make a decision, and and that ruling um, obviously affects us as we currently stand. And and um, I think his message is this can't happen again, and and therefore um, the, the penalty did have to be stiff. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time. 